Welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. It is Thursday morning, March 24th, and I appreciate you all for checking out today's edition of the podcast. Uh, on today's show, ESPN's Greg Wyshynski on all things NHL, NHL trade deadline, uh, what we are looking at with the playoffs, um, Florida Panthers going for it. Uh, just all kinds of great NHL stuff uh, from Greg. So I appreciate him coming on from ESPN. Plus, Matt Green. Yeah, full ride with Matt Green. Always fun. Each week we do this at this time. So, yeah, all your college football questions, things like that. Um, some Scott Strickland quotes that uh, were pretty great. Uh, revolving, uh, or uh, involving a, um, a, a coach hire. So... I, I enjoyed it and uh, all kinds of great college football coverage with Matt. So, yeah, college football NHL on today's edition of the podcast. Um, don't forget, folks, if you're just checking out this podcast and you have not already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss a future episode. New episodes come out in this feed every single day, so you never want to miss an episode. If you're already subscribed but you haven't already left this show a five-star rating and a review on apple Podcasts, spotify or however you get your podcasts i would very much appreciate it if you would go ahead and take care of that today uh it would be great because it would help other people find the show and uh help the show continue to grow uh don't forget you can watch this very program oh yeah we're on youtube youtube.com the chase most podcast that's simple find us there if you want to watch it uh go check out the homepage. Uh, chasethomaspodcast.com uh, daily newsletter yeah sports renaissance man that's me sports renaissance man substack.com type your new email that easy follow me on twitter chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right uncle darren let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um, my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it All right, we're back. The full ride here on the Chase Thomas podcast. Matt Green, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, is here as he is every week at this time. Matt Green, how are you doing, sir? Uh, it is good to be back, sir. Uh, you know, just ready to talk some ball with you. There, mm-hmm. um, to steal a quote from, steal a line from our, our, our guy, Josh Pate. He, uh, yeah. There is no off season, So mm-hmm. talking college football every week. So got to love it. He, it's been a big week for him. He's he's a big storm chaser, and I don't know if you saw that video of that uh, pickup truck that like got caught up in the tornado and like flipped, yeah. and then the dude just drove. He drove off like nothing happened. Just drove away. Like his car, his no. truck literally no. got caught up in the uh, in the tornado, and he was like, "Hey, another day in Texas. Got it." Because there was wow. some, yeah, there were some crazy storms in New Orleans this week. Uh, we had some crazy wind today. Even in my run, um, not to brag, but I run and. <sighs> I uh, I was running against some pretty heavy wind today. Like it was it was a little intense. Where I was like, "What what's going on, nature? I need to get my exercise in." And you're out here pushing against me on this whole trek, and I wasn't about it. Um, I don't know. Like it was uh, it was interesting. So but yeah, that, that was a, that was a non wind aided uh, jog you had there. Yeah, I mean, like I'm getting in my mileage, and I'm dealing with this. But I don't know. I'm pretty easy to spot. I feel like in uh, in Knoxville with my running. So. Folks, uh, the Knoxville, local Knoxvillians who listen to this very podcast, you've probably seen me run because I'm running through the city and stuff like that. But um, I also wear the uh, like I'm a big Zach Wilson Jordan headband wear. Do you know what I'm talking about that he wore at BYU? 
the you white rock that when you're just jogging i walk i walk rocket running uh at the gym like that is my daily work like it's it's something that get i love it and i tie it up and everything so i feel like a little ninja but it's also just that like it it gets me in the mood do you know how like when you transition from certain things where it's like if you get dressed for the day you feel more ready to work or it's like for me to do school stuff i actually have to sit in a certain part of the house because my brain will associate that with school and like i don't do anything in my bed other than sleep because like i if i do then i'll associate like it just it'll be harder for me to fall asleep so i'm a big proponent of like establishing what certain things are to trick your brain um but yeah so when i put on my headband my jordan headband like zach wilson shout out to my guy zach wilson (laughs) i i just get in the zone for exercise time it's game time that's funny i respect that yeah um but uh enough about my workout uh regiment matt green we have more important matters to discuss like taking a i'm not gonna be that mean no we're here's what we're gonna do to start off with and i i feel like i I forgot about this because it's an easy thing to forget the vanderbilt commodores changed their logo we were texting back and forth about this now that you've had a couple days you're a big uniform guy big logo guy um a lot of good tweets about this logo uh change which were mostly mostly bad um it's awful like the new (laughs) logo is terrible it it's just like a weird cross, but it, someone who I forgot who it was, it pointed it, pointed it out of just being like, uh, this looks like a Valapreso, <laughs> a new uh, rebrand for them. Do you remember them who pops up in the NCAA tournament? Oh yeah. Valpo, of course. Yeah. That's what it looks like a, a souped up Valpo. And to that's me, not what you want to do. Like, it looked like a, a fake NFL team. Like, yeah, like a, any given Sunday type of league. Las Vegas you know? outlaws. That's kind of what the, what I got from it. Like, it's not, it's not it's awful. bad like i just we're just used to how vanderbilt's look looks you no, know the, just, but the current one was okay like the star that, exactly. and that looked good it's just it what is the what do you gain from this like minor change like i don't know it just it looks weird now it's also like a there's that gradient to it too yeah. so it's like not even really the same gold so like are Vanderbilt <laughs> uniforms gonna change is are they gonna be a slightly different gold now like i don't i don't really know it was it's it's a it just looked bad i feel like there's just it seemed like just change for the sake of change, but like not really improving anything. It was it was weird. Was my guy Bobby Johnson not not consulted here? Because he would have stood <laughs> against this. He would have been like, no, not on my watch. You know who wouldn't have stood for it? Earl Bennett. Earl Bennett would have been like, this not on my watch, sir. Not on my watch. That's the extent of my uh, Vanderbilt early two thousands uh, guys that I remember. Do you remember any other? Well, ones? Jay Cutler, you got to throw in there. Jay Cutler's an obvious one. I he wouldn't. Have, he wouldn't have stood for it. Oh no. shoot! Uh, who's that receiver? He, that was a little bit later. The one that had a he was like a first round pick, wasn't he? Um, Eagles. I can't even remember his name now. He had like a huge career. I think he's like top three SEC career like receiving yards. Oh man, why am I blanking on? It? Oh, I gotta look that. We gotta look this up. Figure who out. Who are we uh, forgetting here? Who who are we blanking he's a on? Wide receiver. Um, how do I look this up? Real fast. Eagles Vanderbilt <laughs> receiver. Let's see. Eagles Vanderbilt uh, wide receiver. This is going to be embarrassing when we figure out. Oh, Jordan Matthews. There we go. Yeah. That was what, 2009? That was a little bit earlier, though. I'm yeah, talking yeah. like classic. I want some Jefferson Pilot sports. Yeah. You're going sir. way back. Earl Bennett's yeah. a solid pull. 
Yeah, Jet, but Jay Cutler really is like when you think of the old logo, he personified it. It was it was that and the visor, like Jay with the visor and that look. He was the he will always be the coolest Vanderbilt quarterback. There's no way of ever topping that. Like, he well, is, I mean, who's who's second? Like, I can you name us who's the second Vanderbilt? Jordan Rogers? Like, Jordan Rogers is actually I, uh, not a bad pull there. I um I don't I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how many other people I can think of. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. I just the logo, huge miss. You still time to redo it, Vanderbilt. I also just when I read the statements I'll, and stuff. I, uh, Auburn did. Auburn changed Auburn. the logo a couple years ago, like to like barely change that, like that space in between the A and the U. It was like yes, slightly different, that. and people were pissed. <laughs> there is their anarchy, and yeah. they're like, yeah, you know what? That was that was a bad call. There's really no point to change it. So Here's I don't the know. Once that. you talk about all the money you spent in branding, all the different like facilities and everything, like seems like a terrible idea to just change a slight, a slightly different V. Well, here's the difference. I think people are pretty invested emotionally and monetarily in Auburn football. That I don't believe is the case for uh, Vanderbilt football. I don't think there's going to be anarchy in Nashville. Yeah, it'll it'll take a couple months for all the Vanderbilt students to know that they actually changed the logo. Mm. Um, well, let's move forward a little bit, Matt Green, because Nigel the Nighthawk, he delivered some some news for us. I have a quote for you from Scott Strickland, who is the uh, athletic director at the University of Florida. Are you ready for this? It says this. I pulled this from Football Scoop. I saw this the other day. Football Scoop's a great website, and I check that every day, and you should too. But um, here's what he said about hiring coaches. Because remember, Florida just hired San Francisco's coach, um, not the San Francisco Giants or the 49ers. No, the Gales, the fighting Gales. The Dons. Or Dons, excuse me. Who's the Gales? St. Mary's? St. Mary's, yeah. That's right. Um, the Dons, the Gales. We're, we're just making up names over here. Um, <laughs> Sammy, Slammy, Samsonite. I was way off. Um, but no, he had this quote, which I thought was interesting. Quote, sometimes people think that because you're Florida, you can't hire a guy from San Francisco. But it's like we're <laughs> buying fruit in the produce section. You don't want something that's ripe today. You want something that's going to be ripe for a long time that's a great quote (laughs) it's a great (laughs) quote also i respect it because this is something that i think a lot of schools are scared to do where it's like oh they're not in the family they're not gonna be familiar with culture because like for like they're worried about the brian harson situation where it's like we bring in the boise guy and it's just he is completely in over his head with the auburn sec culture and you're worried about that like there's some truth to like being a little bit prepared for it but like man by and large just go get the guy that you like go get the guy that you think will be right down the line don't worry about whether or not they're how deep their sec ties are don't worry about stuff like that i don't know i like i like that quote i might use that uh more shout out to scott strickland for pulling that one off i i like it because they were thinking outside the box because um alternatively your school did not they were like what where could we go in our coaching search where could we go what if we just went one school over? Let's just hire away Florida's coach, Mike White. Let's just go do that. And, you know, sometimes you think outside the box like Florida. Sometimes you do what the University of Georgia did. But we'll see how it pans out for both schools, Matt Green. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. Like, Mike White was a good coach for Florida. So for, yeah. they were kind of in a position, maybe compare it to Mark Rick with Georgia. Like, we're good, but we're not really satisfied with being good. We're actually trying to compete for championships. And mm-hmm. so maybe they don't feel like they can if, – if if Mike White, like, 
does the exact same thing in his first, what, however, how, how many years is he at Florida? Six, seven years or so. Like if he does exactly what he did at Florida at Georgia, like that's huge improvement. So mm-hmm. I think Georgia would, would take that. Florida's just has a different standard. I think where their basketball program is mm-hmm. and, and yeah, I mean, it's, I think like the culture thing is obviously important, but I feel like there's like a, a tide has like, gone too far it's like that culture is like everything that brian kelly is gonna fail because he tries to fake his accent and stuff it's Mm -hmm. like it matters some like it matters some that sam Pittman is like views arkansas as a destination job and there's not a lot of guys that view arkansas as a destination job Mm -hmm. but at the same time he has to be a good coach and win football games like at the end of the day that's what really matters or in Mm -hmm. this case basketball games so yeah, it's especially basketball. There's just so many guys from so many places. Like this, everyone I can I kind of thought of this hire as kind of the Sean McVay. Like everyone mm. wants to get their next Sean McVay. Like they want to yeah. get the 30 year old guy that's you know the up the guru whatever like the the up and coming star. And I don't know much. I can't pretend to know much about like college basketball, like the current landscape and everything, but. I like this guy's vibe and it seems like a, it seems like a good hire for Florida. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hate on it. And I, and I like the the thinking outside the box kind of like how you, how you said, well, let's hit the, the best, the most important part of this week. Matt Green, are you ready? Let's hit it. You're not ready for this. Hold on. Nico. What's the last name? Yamayoto. <laughs> oh man, you haven't even learned his name yet. You killing it's, me. You have to say it so slow. It's Yama Ialva, I believe. It's Yama Yama Ialva is, I think, how you do it. Is I I, I want to say that's how you do it, but dude, it is going to be hard to pronounce over and over again. Like it's one you can't say fast. Like you can get it started with Tunga Viola. You can get it started with uh, DJ Uangale. Just called Tua. They're just going to yeah. call him Nico. That's, that's pretty much it at the end of the day. But hey, five star quarterback, first one since two thousand two. Biggest prospect since Peyton Manning. Um, just first five star quarterback since two thousand two. Mm-hmm. So who would that have been? Mr. Banks, who did not work out at University of Tennessee um, in 2000. You, you know the yeah. first name? Uh, I was, it's either Tyler. Dude, he was not good. What He's was not the name? one who moved to safety. They, they did have a quarterback that like, moved to safety around that. Or they had Chris Leak's brother around that time. Maybe he, was, maybe he was the one. Maybe he was a defensive back. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But um, I just want to know, have Tennessee fans learned nothing? That's, that's what I want to know. What, we, we were here explain. with this 20 i want to say 2020 maybe 2019 when jeremy pruitt when they had 28 commits in the middle of june a few years ago and they had a top three class and they everyone was celebrating like top class tennessee's back all this when mm-hmm. you know anyone could see that your class is just full right now it's not actually an elite class so James Banks, guy, by the way, was his name, James Banks. And okay. then he transferred to Carson Newman. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So this is a situation quarterbacks tend to not decommit once they, they like to commit early and usually kind of be the, one of the leaders in the class. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's going to decommit or anything, but he's not even signed yet. I can't be throwing any parades uh, when the guy's not even signed yet. That's just me. I just, I don't want Tennessee fans to, uh, to go down the same road. I don't want them to get their heart broken again. It's just, 
he's too good matt like he's he's almost like bus proof like have you watched some of his stuff um like he is the real deal and it's just very cool to have someone in here who is just the real deal and people can make jokes about uh tennessee and five stars and oh what's going to happen here but it's like whether you like it or not tennessee made a big splash like whether you like it or not tennessee like this was something that I've talked about in the podcast a couple of days this week and just with different Tennessee folks and other things like that, where it's like Tennessee is a sleeping giant in terms of NIL because Tennessee is top 20 in enrollment. Tennessee has a gigantic alumni base. One of the biggest issues with Tennessee over the years is like the same kind of thing with Auburn, where it's like, who's running Tennessee? How much do the boosters play into it? What's going on with the administration? This, that, and the other. But one thing that has never not been the case is that Tennessee has money. Tennessee has the funds that like if they all get on the same page about something, if you get the right AD like Danny White, who is an expert fundraiser because the University of Central Florida is number two in the country in enrollment. He got known as a fundraiser and there's a big base, a humongous alumni base in Orlando at UCF. Tennessee was always set up to do really well with NIL because that is the kind of bread and butter where it's like, oh, we can you. This is like the thing. If you have a good booster base and you have money, guess what? This is the chance for you to jump back in. And like people who've been nervous about NIL and what that changes to college sports, I think what we've seen thus far is at least in the short term, it get, it it spreads talent out a little bit more. Like Nico, I don't think would have considered Tennessee, or I don't think he would be a Tennessee volunteer without NIL. That's speculation on my part, but that's what I I think that's probably where it would go is Tennessee any different than I they just they have the prerequisite money and support and everything just to have a seat at the table but there's what 20 25 other programs that also have that right there's nothing extraordinary at Tennessee it's just they are one of the big dogs and it's like that's why when that's why they like these certain programs these certain brands we're like people always say college football is better sport xyz is better when this team is good you Mm -hmm. know because tennessee is one of the bigger brands they haven't it's the only reason we still talk about them because if you think about how how long they haven't been good for you wouldn't talk about them for another reason other than the fact that they are one of those brands and they're one of those teams that has the capability of you know when they're good they're they could potentially be championship level good yeah i think what this says to me ultimately is that like tennessee's on the right path and like, not that we just want to bash Dan Mullen every single show or anything, <laughs> but this is why it was such a huge indictment on Dan Mullen that he never had anything like this. There was never, yeah. and that was a, what, a 10 win season year one. Like, mm-hmm. and you never, there was no five-star quarterback. There was no like big time recruit to get. They didn't happy. capitalize on it. Yeah. There was nothing really like that. Just, you see every single program when they get a new hire, there's new blood. It's like, oh, Okay. You know this 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 program's like they're cooler than I once thought. Like I'm gonna check them out. Like you're seeing Tennessee actually like get in the minds of some of these high schoolers, and they're actually like listening to them. Like you never well, saw that two-part. with Dan Mullen. Well, it's twofold too, because like like you said, like there's 25 schools that will have this seat at the table if they want to, right? Here is what puts you over the top: is that like Hypel now has Hinden Hooker to show for nico like they're showing nico for based on what i've read and the reporting on it is like the stats he's seen the stats he's seen how hooker played he watched the scheme up close they showed him how he was going to be used in that scheme he saw the history like you look at drew lockett you look at dylan gabriel 
Hypel, so it's the right combination now for the superstar five stars where it's like, it's kind of the inverse of what's happening with Georgia, right? Where Kirby doesn't really have to sell himself that much as a defensive mastermind. It's just like, if you're a defensive superstar, you're like, yeah, I need to consider Georgia. Like I'm going first round. Like they're going to take care of me at Georgia. Now Tennessee is doing the, the offensive version where it's like, if you're a skill player, like Carnell Tate, the five-star who Nico's already recruiting, like, we just saw Vilas Jones transfer in. You saw Cedric Tillman have the season he did. Javante Payton transferred out from Mississippi State to UT. He had a big time year. Um, the off- You're going to put up numbers. So Tennessee is going to take care of you in the numbers department. Tennessee is going to take care of you in the coaching department. And it's going to be fun. Like this is a fun offense. NIL is going to be strong at the University of Tennessee. We already know about the fan base. 102,000, Neyland being what it is. You're in the SEC. You're going to have scouts all over you. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on you. It's that right combination of all gas, no brakes mixed with the money. And I've told people Tennessee's coming like Tennessee is coming. And I like they still have a long way to go to catch Kirby and Georgia. But what Heupel and Danny White are doing right now is what Kirby was doing. Like you said about Dan Mullen, he didn't do this. Mark Stoops hasn't done this at Kentucky. Shane Beamer's not there. He Shane like <laughs> Shane Beamer just, is creating a buzz, but it's South Carolina's just a much a much smaller Spencer level. Spencer Rattler buzz. is a different. It, it is, but it's also like Spencer Rattler was kind of damaged goods a little bit. Where it wasn't like Caleb Blance, where teams were cut. Like there's a reason he ended up at South Carolina. Just look at where JT Daniels is. He's still floating out there. JT Daniels hasn't been picked up yet. So it's like people see the five star and they just think, no, 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 no. This is like one of those where it's like we'll see what happens with Spencer. We know the talent level and the ceiling's high, but there's a chance that like what we saw last year in Oklahoma is going to be the the sit like what it is and also south carolina hasn't shown themselves to be a a lead offense yet you you haven't been able to see shane beamer's vision because he's a ceo type coach he's not he's going to be someone who relies on expert coordinators like he needs the right coordinators to succeed there hypo can lose goalish or he can lose whoever hypo is the main attraction where it's like i'm the i'm the qb guru that's good to know it's like kirby's the main attraction at georgia where it's like you come here you're going to be a defensive superstar. Like that's just how this works in Athens. And I think you're just going to see that in the next couple of years, like Matt. And I don't even know that Hendon hooker is an NFL quarterback. either. So it's like, he's doing what he's doing and hookers having the level of production. He is because of hypo. So if you potentially get a guy who is a legit first round talent, I mean, yeah, he, he could conceivably be like that program changing player, like in, yeah, with how important the quarterback position is. So, uh, a friend of the pod, Graham Coffee, tweeted at me today, and there's I never stopped laughing at the Philip Fulmer video of like falls are back. Um, <laughs> at the it's it's great, but he sent that over, and we were talking back and forth because he 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 tweeted out today that Arch Manning he believes is still like like he's leaning towards Georgia, right? He was in Athens this past that. week. And it seems like it's down to Georgia, Bama, and Texas for him. Um, but he believes it's more Athens, which would be interesting. And Buster Faulkner, because Parkview, people forget, the Parkview Panthers. The Parkview Panthers. <laughs> we can't get out of the news, Matt Green. Big orange jungle. We can't get out of the news. Jeff Francoeur, color commentator. Atlanta Braves. Tom Glavin, um, spending some time with his mom in uh, Wait, Massachusetts. Tom- Tom Glavin, what are you talking about? He was on the broadcast. He's not ta- he's not on the race broadcast this year. So it's all Fran Cora all the time this year. 
Oh, it was basically all Frank. It was just like a dose of Glavin. It was well, either way, it's Gore. it's it's Frank Core's show now. It's Frank yeah. Core's show, and we got Matt Olson in the building. So we trade back Matt Olson, a, yeah, another Partview kid. Buster Faulkner was the original Partview star way back in the day. That is some classic Lilburn, Georgia nameage right there. Yeah, name, image, and likeness, sir. That is Buster as Faulkner. a Swanee person, I knew the name Buster Faulkner before I actually knew who he was. So he was like a big time. A big time guy for sure. Well, now he's a big time guy for your Georgia Bulldogs because he is apparently playing a pivotal role in the recruitment of Arch Manning to the University of Georgia. And he tweeted out, he's like, how crazy would it be if Arch Manning goes to Neyland and plays the Tennessee Volunteers where his uncle has his name on a street right down the street from the stadium as a Georgia Bulldog against the quarterback he was one two with in his class. Like, do you understand how much a ticket will cost for Nico versus Arch in Nealon if that happens in a couple of years? Like, that is going to be... People think ticket prices are preposterous now. I <laughs> promise you that game, for even a decent seat, is going for a grant. Like, Tennessee will be the new Georgia in terms of uh, just money spent, like the ticket yeah. price and everything. Like, I imagine Georgia fans are going to come back down a little bit, but like... Yeah not this year because it's just that championship high or whatever mm. but it's like you're not starving for it anymore maybe the maybe the prices will just will come back down we, we can all hope at least tennessee is going to be that that new one that they're they're just starving for that that national championship and everything it's it's gonna hurt my soul because like i just i don't know how long i'll be able to, like i'm kind of tempted to just drag graduate schools out as long as i can because like the free tickets man is a beautiful thing and like i just show my id whenever i go to baseball games and it's just walk right in it's a beautiful thing i, I just don't ever want that to uh to change but um matt green we can move we could talk tennessee all day and i know you want to talk tennessee all day but um the last thing before we do our main event kirk herbstreet he's adding more duties for his fall season um he's staying with college game day he's done some nfl games before i think he's done those monday night football double headers with chris fowler in the past yeah. uh, but fowler is not leaving so fowler and herbie are still going to call the saturday night abc game and now you're going to get herbie with the legend the legend al michaels on amazon as amazon gets the full rights to thursday night football how uh how do you think herbie will do on thursday nights as a full-time nfl guy I'll be honest. Um, I, I, um, what's the, how, what's the best term for this? I like unintentionally boycott Thursday night football. Like NFL doesn't exist on Thursday night to me. I'm just like, okay. oh yeah, I like totally forget it's on. So the first thing when I heard this, I was just like, wait, Herb Street's not going to the <laughs> NFL full time. Right. And then, yeah. you know, he's still going to do his college game. So I'm cool with that. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of our, of our good college football personalities being pulled into the, the NFL, like <laughs> Laura Rutledge and uh, and Marcus Spears, you know, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's Herbie's basically the best in the business, so I'm sure mm. with Al Michaels, it's gonna be it's gonna be good stuff. That's a busy week, man. Game day, the game of the week on Saturday night and Thursday night football. He's preparing for two different leagues all week. That's a bunch of work, man. Herbie's yeah. got a lot of work ahead of him. I just feel like I mean, he knows what he's signing up for, and he's getting paid handsomely for it. But man. His, for sure. I, I don't want his college football coverage to suffer. Right. He's, he's the best. It's like Jay Billis starts doing ESP, uh, NBA games. It's like, that's, um, it's gonna, it's gonna, his college basketball stuff is going to suffer. So hopefully, hopefully Herb Street's 
got the uh, can can balance the two. I wonder if we're nearing the end of Herbie on game day, though. Like Fowler's gone. Reese Davis has been doing game day for years now. Like that you have Desmond point. Howard there. You have Pollock there. Corso obviously could like he's. That's keep definitely going. what's gonna. It's when the first Corso thing leaves, to yeah. go. It's gonna be the. It's gonna be a game day for sure. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's a good point because Pollock Pollock could already probably have a bigger role on that show. Like mm-hmm. so yeah. I mean Pollock Desmond Howard and anyone else like they they got a they got a pretty good crew. Who's the next coach? Is it Mac Brown? Who who replaces Corso? Like who's the best coach? <laughs> Matt Orton? Brown, you're not thinking long term. We're gonna have to replace him soon. Then no. anyway, um, with all Ed due Orger- respect, yeah, Orgeron's a, a crazy one. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Houston Nut actually would be good if they would have like Houston Nut's funny. Like I don't know why he doesn't get a better look on these bigger jobs for commentating. He's funny. He's, I like he's, him. Maybe he's too southern. Maybe it maybe doesn't appeal nationally. I don't know. I, I do like I Houston know. Nut though. Give me more Houston nut in my life. I want some more Matt, <laughs> Matt Jones conversations on college game day. Let's bring back the Matt Jones. Not many quarterbacks become wide receivers and just huge wide receiver slot guys for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Those guys don't grow on trees. Um, our Basketball main event. player too at Arkansas. That's He's true. He's an amazing athlete. Absolutely. Um, Felix Jones, Darren McFadden, a lot of dudes. What was the dude? Monk? Malik, what was his name? Malik, not Malik Monk. Not it was Malik Marcus Monk. Monk, maybe. Marcus Malik Monk. Monk. I think he yeah. played basketball too uh, huh. at, at Arkansas. But yeah, hmm. that uh, McFadden for my money. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen a better running back in college football than Darren McFadden. Like since like since we've been watching football and been aware. Like I don't know if I've seen maybe Adrian Peterson. Like yeah. I, it's there's not many that are better than McFadden was at Arkansas. Okay, I. It's hard. I mean, Ryan Mallett, who could forget that Sugar Bowl run from Mr. <laughs> Mallett? Um, didn't he hurt himself? They had a good running a- back, too, on that team. What was what was his name? Oh, man. 49ers, I think, is who he dropped oh. him. Um, Number yeah. seven? Oh, no. What is Why do name? I keep putting these guys out there? I that see I, him. I, I see name. him right now. I know who you're talking about. Oh, my God. Uh, this is going to drive me nuts. Hold on. We'll have to... Uh, Wait, Giles you can't do this to me. Giles is a no. name like that. I don't know. We'll uh, we'll come up with it. We'll, we'll we'll get it. Running back. I have to look at this. This is gonna drive me nuts. You're gonna look it up. You've done this to me. I didn't want to do this. This is uh this this isn't the best uh on air thing to do. Niall Davis. That's his right. Name. There we go. Niles Giles. I was I was all around <laughs> it. Uh, he's also picked 96th overall by the Kansas City Chiefs. So hmm. not the 49ers. But yeah, had thirteen hundred yards, thirteen touchdowns back in twenty ten. I believe that's the year they went to the Sugar Bowl. If maybe I'm you're not thinking mistaken. about, yeah, that's the year they went to the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, it had to be. Um, man, crazy times, crazy times. Um, well, we're gonna do five big college football questions that I came up with right now that I want to pick your brain on, Matt Green, this evening. First up, which school is best? positioned to win the most Pac-12 games over the next five years? So I feel like this was an easy question. It's easily also, USC. Because, oh, USC, see, that's why I don't right? think it's easy. Like, are you okay. sure? you Like Utah, we've seen the, like, they're the under-the-radar teams where it's like they just win games. Like, there's Yeah, the Utah feels like, this feels like, uh, like early 2010s Wisconsin. 
Mm. Like, or maybe in Iowa. Like, yeah, you had your fun while Ohio State was kind of down for a few years, but they're coming back and you're not you're not going to continue to dominate the conference, especially not the Pac-12 South with you with USC being in there. Like, I think Utah is definitely like I think they're the clear like one and two programs like kind of that I can consistently bank on, assuming um, Kyle Whittingham is there the whole time, mm-hmm. which is no reason to think he's going anywhere. And then I feel like Oregon is probably that third. Dan hmm. Lanning is a first year head, first time head coach. So you don't necessarily know what he brings, but after that, it, like I'm struggling to come up with the fourth best team, like moving forward. Like Oregon State, like you know they had a big improvement from 2020 to 2021, but it's like it's to, it's like going to be like a new a new guy at Washington or something that's going to like turn the program around. Like I, I can't Washington State. Were they were they in the Pac-12 championship? Uh, or they were good. They were, I think, second in the North last year. But um, who? Washington like, State? Weren't they the second best team in the Pac-12 no, North last year? There's no way. Are you sure? No, hold on. Pac-12 I think they were says- respectable, but I, it's like no one ever respects Washington State, right? It was like a, it was a decent. No one season. loves Jacob Delora more than me. Um, hold on. That this is gonna bother me. You can't throw that <laughs> out there. Hold on. Um, yeah, no- they were. They um, well, Oregon State and Washington. State yeah, they went six and three in the conference. Okay, that's right. So they were so seven they, and six overall. That's why I was like, yeah. "There's no way." I thought they were like a six and six team. But at the that's end of the year. why this conference. Yeah. yeah, it's like who who else is there outside of USC mm. is going to compete for championships? Like Oregon under Cristobal, like it's like as much as I criticized Cristobal, like I don't know that Dan Lanning is going to be better than him. So like he could be, but it's, I think he could. Yeah. It's hard to be, you know, he learned some of that secret sauce from Kirby Smart. Maybe he knows a little something about building a program. But, um, like, just the lack of competition, Oregon should be, you know, the clear best team in the Pac-12 North. But, like, like Stanford, like, they were the worst team in the North last year. So, like, yeah. I don't – this is – I feel like USC seems like the clear number one to me, even though they obviously haven't shown it yet. We haven't even seen a Lincoln-Riley USC team yet. Well, see, that's why I thought it was so interesting is that like at first glance, like your reflex should be USC. Like the answer should be USC. Um, You could sell me on the answer should be Oregon just because they've got the most competent administration and they've shown the most uh, like most upside, I think, out of everyone the last. And I think you can make the case for the South being more competitive than the North. Right. Um, well, I don't even know going forward, man. Colorado and Arizona are god awful. And Arizona State's about to go on the tank. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, I just, I, I hesitate with them. Like Utah only lost one game last year. They went double digits wins this past year. Kyle Winningham's a winning machine. Like he's in the top two in the next five years. Like he's going to be somewhere in that. But then I'm like, I could talk myself into the the Husky still. You know, I'm a big Washington Huskies guy. Like, you of know course. how I feel about Husky Nation. But Kalen DeBoer is a good coach and he's a... Like we saw what Washington was with Chris Peterson. Like, like if Kalen DeBoer matches that or comes close, then Washington is right there in the mix too. I don't know. I just think it's going to be interesting to see who is going to be the leaders of the Pac-12 over the next five years. Like who, if we like the time capsule, who ends up winning the most amount of games over a five-year stretch? I'm going to say Utah because USC is still just too volatile for me. In Oregon, we'll see how Dan Lanning pans out, but... I don't know. I think you Utah is just such a safe bet, man. Kyle Whittingham is just a safe 
dude. See, I think Utah's <laughs> safe exactly to win nine, ten games like yeah. every year. But those wins stack up when you're having those 12, 13 win seasons. And I True. just don't think they're gonna have any of those. Like you I think Lincoln Riley, I think we can confidently say like year two or year three, like they're gonna be competing for national titles. Like mm-hmm. it's just it is USC and they have a they got a sexy coach now, a guy who's gonna make it exciting again to play there. Like I still question kind of what their ceiling is based on what it used to be kind of because I think the pro football not being in LA was kind mm. of an advantage that USC had the kind of the number one game in town in a, in a big town. Mm. So we'll see. Well, we don't know if they'll get to Reggie Bush, Matt Liner level, but it's possible they could, but, uh, but you know, that remains to be seen. It remains to be seen, but we'll see. We'll see what happens here. Um, next question. Are we underestimating what Sam Pittman could ultimately do at Arkansas? And I'm not just saying that because the man put a hog statue at his lake house. Um, did you see that this week? <laughs> um, short answer, yes. I think we're definitely okay. underestimating him. And probably just underestimating the ceiling that Arkansas has. It's just, it's hard. Like, I think I'm including myself just because, like, especially you look at this year, like Mm -hmm. just having the sec west to deal with every year is Mm -hmm. just is just brutal so it's hard to see arkansas getting out of a a a saban sec west like Mm -hmm. we're talking post saban arkansas could be one of the better programs here in the next five years or so so i think they definitely have the ability if you just look at this year like we got cincinnati byu and liberty on the non-conference schedule just to go with whoever you have to play in the sec like it's just it's hard it's hard to to think that this team can win national championships just because it's hard to find the easy wins on their schedule year in and year out like they're at a conference isn't crazy in future years like they have like a home and home with notre dame with utah coming up they actually have like a four game series with oklahoma state in like mm-hmm. the next decade or so which oklahoma state and arkansas seem like very like programs on the exact same level that they should be playing right like that's a that's a great for college football so they don't have any like necessarily crazy out of conference games in the next you know decade or so but just that sec west doesn't get any easier and it's hard to ignore a year where you just broke through and won what was their final record is it nine and four uh by the end of the year like it's hard to ignore that you did that in years where auburn was awful and lsu was not good at all so if those teams are good, it's like, can Arkansas actually be the second best team in the West? Like, I don't know. And, and when I, we haven't even mentioned Texas A&M um, either. So it's that West, the West is just such a, a gauntlet. It's hard to see Arkansas getting through it, really. I just, they're a team that's going to benefit a lot from the realignment, right? Like when Texas and Oklahoma comes yeah. and they go into pods, I think Arkansas will benefit a lot in that regard. I just think we're underestimating them for a couple of reasons. So one, Sam Pittman's a recruiting machine. Like the, he's a good fit culturally. Um, He learned a lot from Kirby. He is a CEO type coach, but he's also someone he was able to keep Barry Odom, keep Kendall Bryles. He has like, he's got quarterbacks in that room. He's going to be able to recruit talent all across the board. Um, Arkansas is good. Like they're a good program that I think, 
we've seen them go to the Sugar Bowl. We've seen what Petrino's done with them in the past. I mean, they've been a number one, number two team in the country before. Like, that's been a thing. Like, we saw that Houston in the 90s. made two yeah. SEC championship appearances. Like, I think we discount what Arkansas can actually be a little bit much because they're not that far from Texas. They're not far from Oklahoma. They're not far from Louisiana, like Mississippi, Alabama. Like, they are still in good enough range for a lot of kids not to have to go that far away from home to go to Arkansas. And it's a good program and he wants to be there. And I think that's important where it's like, when you think about Lane and Mike Leach, it's like, I don't know if they'll be there in five years. It's hard for me to forecast like Brian Kelly. I don't know where he'll be in five years, but like, I know that Sam Pittman, the only way he leaves Fayetteville is if he's fired. Like that's it. Like that dude is not looking at Arkansas as a Dustin or as a, uh, just a pit stop on his eventual run to Georgia, back to Georgia. No, if Kirby no pun intended. Right, exactly. And that wasn't even intentional. I'm just that good at podcasting these days. So I just, I I think he has, a. there's a lot of reason for optimism in Fayetteville. And I think people should prepare themselves. Like if I did rank like next team in the SEC, not named Georgia and Alabama to make the college football playoff, you could sell me on Arkansas where it's like, what we want Texas A&M to be, maybe it's Arkansas. Maybe Arkansas fills that void that we've been waiting for Texas. The and I don't know. I don't like, think, see, I don't think anyone is picking Arkansas to be that next team. Like I think A&M for one is just mm-hmm. the hot team to pick. I think most. I think you'd have people picking Florida or maybe even Tennessee to make the college ball playoff before you're picking Arkansas. But you know, maybe that's just the general public like you said, over uh, underestimating what Arkansas is really capable of. It's, um, I don't know. They are in a, in, a, in a really weird position. I think the alignment, I think like you made a good point. I think the SEC realignment could definitely benefit them. And I wonder if this era of the transfer portal, mm-hmm. if the biggest winners in the transfer portal, because we've already seen Arkansas do a pretty good job this off season. Like, I wonder if the biggest winners in the transfer portal could be those second tier SEC teams where, mm-hmm normally recruiting it's a zero-sum game right like there's no points for second place and not only that you might have to play against this guy um you're now with the transfer portal like guys want to still be at a big time place Mm. and if they can't be at the sec school they necessarily with their first second choice maybe those teams in the middle of the pack in the sec they could be the ones that clean up in the portal yeah, I mean, I think they're sitting right there to do that. And I just would not be surprised if Arkansas is the next SEC team to break through. Like for the folks betting betting the house in AM, I think it should be AM. Just don't be surprised if it's Pittman. And it's an awesome story. And I think he's done tremendous work in Fayetteville. And I would not be at all surprised if Arkansas breaks through. Um, next up, will Iowa ever evolve on offense? So this is something that you were like, I don't know what to say here, Mike. <laughs> before you're like, I don't know what to do with this. Like as long as Kirk Ferentz is there, I don't think so. Well, his son's the offensive coordinator, so nepotism runs strong there. Brian Ferentz is calling plays. Um, before that, it was the XOC from Texas, who Texas fans could not stand. I remember that being a whole thing for years uh, under Mac Brown, Mr. Davis, and they replaced him with Brian Ferentz. For whatever reason, Iowa, like Iowa frustrates me to no end because we just saw this past year, right? They're number two team in the country. They had this path because this historic defense, like uh, they were Georgia North. We talked about it. They were corn Georgia. They were the, they were, (laughs) they were corn Georgia up there. And they thought they they were, 
I mean, they were like the the defensive touchdowns that they were putting up was preposterous. Mad like, takeaways early. They were doing crazy stuff in the Big Ten. And there was a path. The Big Ten was open this past year. Ohio State was down. Like th- last year was Iowa's year to kind of really break through here and take advantage of a weak Big Ten. They even get back to the Big Ten title game. They get Michigan, K. McNamara, and they get blown out the building. This has got to stop. I am so over this nonsense where it's like, all right, well, our defense is back and this is just Iowa football. This is what we're going to be. We're going to be terrible on offense every year, but our defense is going to be amazing. And then when we get the right running back in there, then, hey, we have a shot and maybe the right tight end and we'll be okay. It's like, man, don't you want to do like to give yourself a chance at really breaking through, like do something different on offense, like add some kind of new wrinkle, bring in somebody else where it's like Iowa where would you guess they were in scoring offense last year, Matt Green? A team that was number two in the country oh, at I the think middle they were of the like eighty something, ninety nine. Oh wow! They yeah. were behind Georgia Tech, South Alabama, Syracuse, Troy. Wow, that's unacceptable. Like I, it drives me insane to see like iowa just continuing to like if i was an iowa hawkeyes fan i'd be like we're close the parents and this group they know how to do defense we're fine but like bring in somebody else to run this offense like do something because you're close you're close i like how you said the if they bring the right tight end and yeah it's like they had two first round picks exactly here at tight end and that was what like the 50th ranked offense in the country like it's that would drive me insane if I was a fan. Yeah, I, they, I, I don't know how you get a good quarterback. Like that's what it comes down to. Like when was the last time Iowa had a good quarterback? I mean, Beathard like, was good. CJ Beathard was good. Um, he wasn't elite. Ricky Stanzi was fun. Ricky Stanzi was fun. Drew Tate was fun. Drew uh, Tate. Drew Tate. That's going way. That's what 2006. Like, what was the dude? Brad way. Banks. Was it Brad, Brad Banks? Was like a yeah. legit Heisman finalist. Yeah. But, yeah, you're going back. That that feels like yesterday <laughs> to mm. me and you, but that's twenty years ago, right? So yeah, I think I feel like as long as Kirk Ferentz is there, it's it's hard to envision, especially because they're good. They're good yeah. every year, so it's like you know it could be great though, and they just choose not exactly. to. They're just like we're not going to be great. We're good. We're going to be. I do works all right. We're trying to win championships. Oh no, but I'm just trying to win. You know, seventy five percent of my games, and he basically does that. Wins seventy percent of his games like every year. I think Kirk is the longest tenured FBS coach, right? Am I mistaken? I would think he'd have to be, right? He's 1999. Is that his first year? Like, I think, yeah, he's I, he's got to be. Yeah, I would think so. Um, well, let's hit on question number four, Matt Green. The next big coach to leave his current school will be who? Who do you got for me? Hmm. So. I had a top three. Okay. I want to go with like the hotter take, mm. uh, except for I don't necessarily believe it. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm down to two, but I feel like Lane Kiffin is the obvious answer. Okay. I think people just don't see him being anywhere for a long time, but I think Dabo Swinney. Oh, oh my goodness. That's that a take. Would, and it's going to be Alabama, right? I think Alabama is going to be the job that's going to be capable of pulling one of these big name jobs hmm. or bit of these big name coaches. So I think I just don't know when Alabama is going to be, I could see 
if Alabama's open in three years, like I don't know if Lane Kiffin's the kind of guy they want, but at the mm-hmm. same time, Lane Kiffin seems like exactly the kind of guy they want, you know? So like, I'm not necessarily sure, but like if it, it opens in the next three, four years, like Dabo 20 has to be as well positioned as anybody, but you know, maybe if Clemson's going in the wrong direction, you don't want him to take over Alabama. But um, my third one on here, the hottest mm-hmm. of the takes Marcus Freeman. Oh, Okay. Maybe Ryan Day goes to the NFL in a few years. Maybe hmm. uh, Marcus Freeman has some success in Notre Dame, goes home to Ohio State. I think that's the only place he would really leave Notre Dame for, uh, yeah. most likely. I mean, I guess he could potentially get a big-time SEC job or something if he wanted, but he doesn't have much experience in the SEC, so he doesn't seem mm-hmm. like an SEC guy. So that, that that's another one, that because Ryan Day does seem like he's a guy who I wouldn't rule out the NFL for, for someone like him. I like those. Um, I might surprise you a little bit here. I'm going Mel Tucker. I think mm. Mel Tucker is the next big, big head coaching domino to, to move. I don't think he's long. For Where's he going, game. though? I, I'm giving you two choices. I think he goes to one of these two. Because I don't think it, it's a name that you already mentioned. When Kiffin leaves and Ole Miss opens up, I think that's a distinct possibility for Mel Tucker. Oh, you think Ole Miss is an upgrade from Michigan State? I think Mel Tucker knows that sec talent and his time at georgia and things like that where i think his end goal is to get back in the sec and win at that level because here's the other thing we gotta remember based on what he's doing already at uh, michigan state and what he tried to do immediately at colorado dude wants to upgrade facilities football 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 like we're investing a billion dollars in the recruiting budget like the big 10 is right there with the sec but like michigan state's not going to invest as much as a lot of these sec programs like sec it's still football 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 and if like you're a coach that wants to win and wants to be able to just walk into your ad's office and be like we need a hundred thousand dollars for x and it's just like no big deal then you want to get back in the the sec this is what Dabo did at clemson where he was like look i want to be if you want to be alabama this is what we got to do here's what we do do it (laughs) and that's what happened see but urban meyer i would say urban meyer's got the real that's the winning philosophy right there. Mm. The Jimbo Fisher, Florida State. Get the SEC level talent. Yeah. You don't have to play an SEC schedule every year. That's True. that's the way to do it. So maybe if at Michigan State, like I don't know that he's able to recruit the level well, of athlete what... that he wants at Michigan State. And so, yeah. yeah, to your point, that could bring him down to the SEC. Like a lot of these Alabama, Georgia, Florida kids don't want to live in East Lansing. Like they're still going to be like Michigan State's not going to recruit well enough for him to win a title. Like it will be good enough for him to recruit like a well enough to be good but mark d'antonio was in a playoff like mark d'antonio did pretty well for years um i think there's just a ceiling in east lansing that is not the case at at school but like i think he goes to auburn i think he's the next auburn coach so i think brian harson is still not long for that job Mm. and see auburn i could see that yeah you give him auburn that's a scary proposition you put him at auburn and i think that's a slam dunk hire for auburn that's my big that's my big take is i think mel tucker to auburn is what's coming down the pike in the next year or two i uh, i don't hate that i, I don't i don't want to like i don't like <laughs> the idea of coaching against uh playing against mel tucker every year though he's an excellent coach i'd rather play against brian harson i think we all would <laughs> um what if this is honestly like the most Auburn thing ever? They're gonna go like eleven and one this. Year. No way! And just no. like win the SEC. Like they're Zach never Calzada is out, not doing never it. Count out Auburn. I just 
the West is too big. I mean, the West is just too strong. The West is just too good. I don't, maybe in a, maybe the West years ago, not what it looks like right now. I just don't see a path right no, now. I, I don't either. Um, We'll end on this. Spring hype is not real. So when you've been reading, and I think you could pull this from fans, like you're always in on the college football spats on twitter.com at grade. So you're seeing <laughs> how fan bases, you're seeing what they're, they're feeling right now. Like, what spring hype that you've seen from a fan base or across the blogosphere, anything like that, that you're like, I just, this, this is spring hype. And once games happen, this is not going to be the case. Well, I promise I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, brown nosing to, to the host here of the program, oh, but yeah. um, South Carolina game <laughs> man, they're just, I just can't buy it. Like it just depends on what kind of hype you're talking about, like hype to be competitive and like, basically every game this year like yeah i think i think that's a reasonable expectation for south carolina and probably end up seven and five like i think that's like anything i think that's a successful season honestly south carolina going seven and five so Mm -hmm. if they think they can actually get in that nine and three like ten and two range like and the spencer rattler quote-unquote heisman hype like i just don't see that happening from south carolina so Mm-hmm. I don't feel like there's a lot of overrated teams at this time of the year right now, but South Carolina is definitely a team that I'm I'm not I'm not buying the stock. Not buying the South Carolina stock. Um, I'm not buying. There's a couple teams that I'm not buying just yet. Like I want to see what happens here before I'm like I think Notre Dame. A lot of optimism about Marcus Freeman and where this team's going. And Mar- uh, Tommy Reese is back in the booth this year and that's a big deal he's he's off the field he's back in the the upper deck and i just well let's see like notre dame has had a ceiling for a long time and notre dame fans are excited like marcus freeman's gonna recruit his tail off and they just had a great class but like we've seen the ceiling at notre dame we've seen it a lot and they've run into a wall over and over again let's see if marcus freeman can get through the wall i don't know like I think I have a lot of questions about if Marcus Freeman's going to be able to do what a lot of fans think he might be able to do. I also will say the spring stock that I'm also not buying yet. Like <laughs> I'm just I'm not there yet is Texas Tech. So Jay McGuire moves over from Baylor, right? Like he's the he's a co- high school football legend in the state of Texas, likable dude um, from the area, the just. The roots, it all makes sense. It's like it. We always do this. We go back and forth on programs where it's like, let's go out of the box and get Matt Wells from Utah State, and he can bring his entire staff in, and then that doesn't go well. And you're like, okay, now we got to go back to a Texas guy, <laughs> and that's that's just what they do. Um, a lot of schools across around the country, like whatever, and Kirby retires or leaves, Georgia's going to go like hire Penn uh, Penn State's sitting head coach or something. Georgia's a hundred percent going to get a guy from uga to replace kirby smart i swear you the entire so? the entire coaching staff is going to be <laughs> uga alum here in the next mm-hmm. five ten years like it's insane heinz ward next side coach who says yeah no? who knows man um, hopefully hopefully that's a, a question we're asking 20 years from now hey you never know um but those are like texas tech man we've seen this before where it's like <sighs> the one thing i trust in texas tech is like the the sunny cumby of the world who just took the louisiana tech job like the the kingsbury types the mike leach types where i'm like 
I think I would have just gone with Sonny Dykes if I was Texas Tech, where it's like, it's hard to recruit in Lubbock. It's hard to win at Lubbock. And you have to play a certain style. I don't know if McGuire's going to be able to do that. But the one opti- like the big optimistic thing there is that they brought in the Western Kentucky offensive coordinator who, with Bailey Zappi this past year, threw a gazillion touchdowns. So their offense is going to be fun, and they're going to be doing that. But I just I don't see the wins coming yet. Like So I'm seeing a lot of hype on Texas Tech to bounce back. And I'm like, man, the Big 12 tough. And I think Baylor is not going anywhere. Oklahoma State's not going anywhere. Oklahoma's going to bounce back. Texas should be better. Iowa State should be better. Like, I just, I don't see the wins for Texas Tech yet. So I'm like, let's pump the brakes in the Red Raiders. Like, I would not be surprised they're a four and eight team next year. So yeah, I don't I would agree with that. I don't know that Iowa State's going to be better necessarily next year, but Texas, Texas should definitely be improving. And Texas, mm. I, it doesn't feel like Texas Tech can really coexist as a competitor with Texas. Like obviously they had that, that one year where uh, was it 2008 where Texas, Oklahoma and Texas tech were all like 11 and one in the regular season. But it seems like if in my head, I dreamed it. (laughs) It feels like if Texas tech is going to be good, it kind of needs to be like taking advantage of Texas being down or something, which is kind of the case right now, but Texas tech is also down. So it doesn't feel like they're going to get up before before texas does i remember walking out of a movie um the night texas tech beat texas and i was just like someone texted me and was like texas tech just beat texas and i was like no they're like yeah crabtree just scored on a last second play and i was like no way no way and i remember going home and like this is how old we are matt where it's like you can't just pull out your phone and look at it like this was not something i could just do like i just got a text of texas <laughs> tech one so like i couldn't i couldn't do that so we were leaving the movie and i like raced him i remember and put on sports center because that's what we used to do millennials sure. that's what we used to do or gen z whatever it is the one behind us and i remember just being like no and then the interview of like in my head i dreamed it uh with crabtree was top notch and just that ending was phenomenal like that texas tech run was pretty crazy but texas tech being See, good when i and- think when i hear crabtree i think of uh the aaron andrews interview with uh with sherman with richard sherman just mm-hmm. who was talking about <laughs> you crabtree i just i just love that it's just like he said he went off and like that's why i don't talk about the best it's like who was talking about <laughs> you like i just i feel like that's like one of the funniest sound bites like ever to me yeah um well matt green we can find you on twitter at matt underscore w underscore green uh anything you'd like to plug this week anything new as zeus and maddox as we wrap up here any any tory thoughts on how you and i could improve this program oh man i'm sure tory's got some thoughts for sure mm-hmm. but um no dogs are good they um you know just just hanging in there living yeah. the dream well don't worry about the thoughts i'm a taking guy so that's i don't need to I don't need Tori's thoughts, so that's not going to work for me, Matt Green. Don't, don't do what? that. No, I'm saying I'm sure she has some critiques on how <laughs> to improve the show. No, I was doing a bit. I was doing a bit, uh, like the T-H-O-T-S thoughts versus the, the thoughts. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, there you go. I would, uh, I would never speak about my, my significant other in such a way. Well, no, that's her. It's it's her friends. That's what we're talking about. Like that's that's a different thing. Um, it went over my head. I'm sorry. I, ru- I ruined your bit. No, it's okay. It's, <laughs> it's okay, Macarade. Well, next week back same time as always as we keep talking college football because as our friend Josh Bates says, there is no off season 
um, for people who are not casuals and we are not casual college football fans. Matt Green, you have yourself a great rest of your evening and I will talk to you next week. Yes, sir. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast where I am now joined by a first timer. He's got the not even like the it looks like a chalkboard, but it's not. It's <laughs> NHL and ESPN. I don't even know what I'm looking at right here. It looks great. You got Darth Vader behind him. Like, I do, yeah. Well, it's, all, it's, all, it's all the Disney family. This is yeah. the, this, this thing here. I mean, uh-huh. I spare no ex- expense for the webcam setup. Uh, uh-huh. I think this cost about $12 a target. Oh, nice. Um, they give you all the letters. It's pretty uh-huh. great. Okay. I like that. Well, this th- that voice you just heard. It's Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. NHL, ESPN. You've seen him. You've heard him. He's one of the best at it. He hasn't gotten much sleep, I'm assuming, Greg, based on what's happened this week in the NHL. That being said, the NFL and Tyreek Hill, and they just were like, oh, NHL, you getting some momentum? You getting some, some people talking about you? I would hate. I would hate for us to throw another insane pipe bomb in the nhl trade deadline uh news fear with that but a lot of player movement a lot of stuff's going on how are you doing sir i'm good man it ain't just like the nfl i mean mm-hmm. like, although i guess like the like brady stuff happened within a close proximity too to the trade deadline but i mean it was mm-hmm. also a trade deadline that was held everything kind of got time shifted in the nhl because of what we assumed was going to be the olympic break mm-hmm. so the trade deadline happened later than it usually does and because of that, like the trade deadlines on Monday, everybody's still thinking about the next round in the NCAA men's basketball tournament and the NFL free agency and everything else. It's just kind of like, ugh, you know, yeah. carve out our little niche where people talk about hockey and it's being swallowed up by the sports calendar. So it's, but it's good. I mean, like, yeah, it definitely is um, a real fun time in hockey because it's that unofficial transition towards the playoff races and mm-hmm. um, and kind of, you know, refocusing on the teams that are going to be in, the teams that are going to be out, and and seeing how they all improved their chances to win the Cup. I'm a little concerned the Kraken, it's not going to be their year. They're not going to follow the the Golden Knights' uh, emergence into the NHL. It feels, it feels pretty uh, dire at the moment. What do you think, Greg? Well, they're bad. Um, they're bad. I think, I think two things. I think, one, they picked a bad coach in Dave Haxtall. Mm -hmm. uh they've been they're sort of like an amorph they should be like the jellyfish instead of the kraken like they're an amorphous blob (laughs) of a team and i can't figure out what they're supposed to be or what shape Mm -hmm. they're going to take but i think also and they were the first ones to say this like um the the golden knights were able to take advantage of these incredible expansion draft rules um that gave them so many good players right off the hop and then also they were able to leverage the rules in the expansion draft to uh, acquire a, just a treasure chest of picks and prospects and stuff. And the Kraken, the Kraken said, hey, people figured out what was going on this time. We couldn't mm-hmm. leverage teams the same way. And so it was, it was a different deal for us. So it, it, what was interesting, though, about the trade deadline is that it almost like they got time shifted, too. Mm-hmm. Like they were a team that all of a sudden, um, instead of uh, using all that leverage in the summertime, to kind of get these players in the previous summertime, they were able to now use some of the players they got in the expansion draft, Mark Giordano, Cali Yarncroft, others, uh, to start collecting those picks and, mm-hmm. and players uh, at the trade deadline. So I think it's going to be 
an interesting offseason for them because they're going to be able to start building out their prospect pool with these picks. But they've also said, hey, you know, these picks were getting to the trade deadline. We're going to now start to use those to get some better players and come back in their second year a lot stronger than they were in the first. Interesting. Well, in terms of the teams that were active and are trying to win the cup this year, uh, who is your biggest winners? Who do you think did the best job in, in uh, before the trade deadline? Uh, a couple teams. I think I, okay. I really like what Colorado did. Um, mm-hmm. They were trying to take some big swings at the trade deadline. It didn't necessarily work. Um, and, and so they went a little bit smaller and they addressed some needs. Uh, Josh Manson, the defensive defenseman they got from the Anaheim Ducks, I think really addresses a problem they had in the playoffs last year, which is that when teams like Vegas were pushing them around in their own zone, they didn't have an answer for it. And I think that Josh mm-hmm. Manson certainly is the type of defenseman that could be an answer for that. Um, Arturi Lekkinen, uh, Andrew Cogliano, like these are the players that they needed in their lineup, down the lineup to help um, build out from the losses that they had and losing guys like Brandon Saad and, and uh, Belmare and Donskoy mm-hmm. and others that have sort of left over the, the last year. So I think they've done a good job. Honestly, the best trade that was made before the NHL trade deadline was made a few weeks before it by the Calgary Flames. They got Tyler hmm. Foley from Montreal, um, paid a good price for him, but A, got him in their lineup early to, to have him get to have time to get acclimated to what they do. And then mm-hmm. B, just like got aggressive and acquired a winger who, I mean, outside of Drew with the Florida Panthers, like there weren't many guys last to Tyler Foley that moved uh, on, on trade deadline day. So I think they, they did a really good job getting ahead of the market, but then they also added Kelly Yarncroft from the Kraken and, and Ryan Carpenter from the Blackhawks too, um, which will help out with their supporting cast. So I really thought they did a good job as well. You didn't mention the Panthers there. Well, no Panthers, no Hurricanes. You, you, the, yeah. the Hurricanes, just the Max Domi deals, whatever. They got him from yeah. Phoenix. He's going to be on their fourth line. But the Panthers are, again, for me, and I know the Panthers vehemently disagree with me on this, mm-hmm. but I'm not a Ben Sherratt fan. I don't okay. think he is... Uh, good this season i think that in past seasons he was um elevated by his partnership with shea weber with the montreal Canadiens. they paid a hefty price for him i know that was that ended up being the market i know other teams were offering a first round pick and maybe even a higher draft pick than what they were offering to get him um so they had to pay to get him i just think they identified the wrong defenseman Hmm. Uh, and i think that acquisition for me at least counterbalances how good the acquisition of claude Giroux is who, again, like unimpeachably a, a first-line player, um, gives them a veteran presence and a, a, a n- amount of playoff experience in their top six that they don't have right now. I mean, they've got Joe Thornton and Patrick Hornquist down the lineup, but now they've got a, a premium player who has obviously been through the wars of the Flyers. So as much as I love the Drew pick, I'm, it's counterbalanced by how much I didn't like the Sherratt pick, so I don't count them amongst my like cream-of-the-crop deadline winners. What... um. Well, that's interesting. Do you think Drew could be back in Philadelphia next year? Do you think this is a uh, just a second half type deal, or do you think it, the the book is closed on his future or on his time in Philadelphia? Well, it depends on how much of the scuttlebutt and innuendo you believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, like for those who don't know, there has been reporting out of Philadelphia that the Flyers asked Claude Drew to expand his trade pool to involve teams that uh, he wasn't willing to waive his no move clause for. And allegedly, Drew's <laughs> camp came back and said, we'll do that if you guarantee that we can sign a new contract in Philly next year. Come back 
continue my career with the Flyers, maybe end mm-hmm. up as a, you know, retiring in, in orange and black. And then GM Chuck Fletcher, again, according to the reports, was like, we're not going to do that. And Drew's like, all right, I'll only go <laughs> to the Panthers. And mm-hmm. so if that's the case, if that's how it played out, then that's a level of acrimony that would make you believe that as long as Chuck Fletcher is the general manager there, that Claude, Claude Drew probably won't be back with the Flyers. But Fletcher has denied that report, even though he did say that the um, the market for Drew was extraordinarily limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Drew's agent, Pat Brisson, also denied that report to me um, during our ESPN trade deadline uh, broadcast. So, I mean, I think there's a little bit of smoke there insofar as like he didn't really give the Flyers the options they were hoping that he'd give them. Mm-hmm. The question is, is that enough to have burned that bridge um, and prevented him coming back? I think if you're asking me if I'm buying or selling on the idea of Claude Giroux being a flyer again, I'm buying. I think that's okay. who very much wants to finish his career in Philadelphia. I just don't know if it's going to be next season or not. Yeah. I mean, it seems like if, I mean, it probably would help things if the Panthers win, like if they win the cup, he's like, all right, I'm done. I, I got the cup. Like I can go hang out, go where I want to be Philadelphia, make it happen. I don't have any expectations anymore. It's the the Chris Bryant thing where Chris Bryant in major league baseball, he's all about vibes. And the man was like, I won a world series in Chicago. I am going to get paid a lot of money to go hit a billion home runs at Coors field and enjoy my life. I'm going to not play in an important game for a long time. And that's, <laughs> that's a nice thing no pressure just uh well that's the thing like at this at this stage in drew's career you're wondering is is the money he's looking for maybe a lot of it he's probably looking for a place for his family and he's got Mm -hmm. you know young kid um you know so you wonder what that'll end up looking like if they want to stay around the philadelphia area or not Mm -hmm. um there's a number of considerations at play but like you said i mean i think the math probably changes for him if they if he wins the yeah. question is, if he doesn't win, then does that mean he starts kind of getting into his Marion Hosa phase and start chasing the cup uh, aggressively in, in other with other teams? How surprised would you be if the Panthers won the cup this year? Um, I wouldn't be shocked because they're they're a really good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the two things I'm wondering about for them are the path to get mm-hmm. there. Um do they have to go through Tampa? And if that's the case, can they get through Tampa? Um, It's a real question mark. And then the other thing I'm wondering is, and this is a question that I've I've been kind of asking a lot of people in the league about is what the playoffs end up looking like. Hmm. Um, As hockey fans, we're conditioned to believe that the minute the playoffs start, you flip a switch and every game is now two to one. And it's all (laughs) like defensive hockey, no fun, no goals, no nothing. They don't call penalties. Everybody's getting mauled out there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we know to be playoff hockey. And it's both the most exciting thing you've ever seen. And it also sucks because it's not like offensive fire wagon fun. Mm-hmm. The, there is a theory that mm-hmm. the playoffs could be different this year because this is the highest scoring season on a goals per game per team basis that we've had since the mid 1990s. Hmm. And, and there are some theories as to why it's happening. And one of them is, flat out exhaustion. Like these guys have been through two years now of compacted schedules, um, weird travel, no practices, no preseason. They're all out of sorts. They've got the same mental strains that we have during the Mm -hmm. pandemic on top of all of it, having to be tested and 
worrying about what happens if you get it and being isolated. Like there's a whole other level of mental strain that's been on these guys for the last two years too. So one of the prevailing thoughts is the year has been bonkers offensively because everyone's just exhausted. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, there's no reason to believe that won't also be the case in the playoffs. And so mm -hmm. um, you wonder what that will end up looking like. And, and, and so long, long answer short, if, if it ends up being a more offensive playoff, then the Florida Panthers could probably win the Stanley Cup um, because I think that they're obviously much more adept at winning five to three games than they are at winning two to one games. Interesting. Well, in terms of the teams that uh, sold off a lot of pieces that um, were strong sellers at the deadline, who do you think did the best in their return for what they, they put out there on the market? Montreal did great. They, mm -hmm. they pulled a, a lot of picks and, uh, and prospects out of teams. Um, the Lekkonen trade to Colorado, the Schrott trade to Florida. Seattle, like we talked about, I thought did a really good job getting their picks and prospects. They didn't get a first rounder, um, but they came close enough in, in some mm -hmm. cases to getting uh, some, some value. Um, those two teams really stand out. And then obviously like Chicago getting the return they got for Brandon Hagel yeah. is, is intriguing. I mean, there, there's a, every chance that he goes to Tampa, he plays in their top, you know, two lines and continues to progress higher and higher as far as an offensive player. But there's also a prevailing thought that this kid is, is, you know, shooting 20% this season. It's the first good year he's had. It's not sustainable. And we look back at this as a fleecing for the Chicago Blackhawks um, if he doesn't work out for the Lightning. And again, like it's hard to believe the Lightning would miss on a trade like this. Mm -hmm. um, but in case they do, uh, whether or not he, he's good or not, it's a great return for Chicago. But it has a chance to be an even better return if he doesn't end up being the player that they think he could be. Do you think the Devils didn't get the Google calendar invite that the trade deadline was happening. Did they miss it? Did they just uh, turn their notifications off? Uh, what, what happened with the devils? Why didn't they do anything? I, I don't think they did anything because there wasn't really anything they wanted to do. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that they would have traded Pavel Zaka if somebody came to them with the right deal that didn't happen necessarily. Um, they probably would have given away Jimmy VC, but nobody really hmm. wanted him. Uh, they made a trade for Andrew Hammond to shore up their goaltending um, they didn't trade Damon Severson, even though he's entering uh, the final year of his contract next season. I think for the Devils, it's twofold. One, I, I believe that they think that there, there's better business to be done during the summer when they might mm. have a little bit more clarity on the guys looking for new contracts um, and then also could get more aggressive and trying to acquire talent during the summer using um, their cap space and their resources. But I also think that the other thing about him is that, and this is kind of like, a weird thing to say because you think of the trade deadline as a way to make yourself better for next season. I think mm -hmm. they think making themselves better for next season is also not being terrible for the next yeah. month. Like they want to finish strong. They want to have positive momentum. They want things for these young players to build on and trading away Severson, trading away Zaka, you know, trading away other players, um, doesn't help to that end. Then they become a diminished team. And so they don't finish strong. There's bad vibes. They come back next year. It's not really real feeling all that good. So I think they want sort of like a little proof of concept for Jack Hughes and for all these other players that when we are a full squad, when, when Dougie Hamilton's healthy and we mm -hmm. get good goaltending because we didn't get earlier that we're, get, we're on the right track. So I think that's part of the thought too, is that they didn't want to really, gut the team necessarily 
down the stretch. Were you surprised John Gibson didn't get moved? No, I, I think he's a summertime move. Okay. Um, you know, I, I definitely think it's time to move him. I, he is very much, and Hampus Lindholm in some ways, who went to Boston, is, mm. is like this too, where I think he is living off the reputation that he mm. earned a couple of years ago. Um, but I think he could, he could bring back a nice return for them. Uh, you don't find a lot of veteran goalies that can play the number of games that he can play uh, that still put up really good numbers, if not necessarily the numbers he put up in the past. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I do think he'll move. I, I think his time in Anaheim has probably come to an end, especially when you think about where they are in their transition to uh, a rebuild. I mean, moving him out for young young assets, I think at this point would be this, a real smart decision on their part. Man, he died for nothing in Anaheim. That man put on like just a clinic for years. And it was just like, hey, uh, can I get some kind of offensive production for me at some point? Yeah. It, and they were like, no, actually, John Gibson, you're going to keep defending all the shots and you're going to win a lot of 1-0 games. That's but how it, this is going to go. But it's beneficial to your reputation, man. You think about That's it, true. Darcy Kemper has been living off being the best <laughs> thing about terrible teams. And, and in John Gibson's case, like he dragged them to playoff appearances when they were bad. Yeah. Too. So, I mean, his reputation precedes him. I think there'll be a market for him for sure uh, for teams that are, are dying for, for goaltending. Um, but I think the best thing they could do is, is move him out and, and redistribute that, that cap space in a, in a more productive way. Who do you think has a easier path back to dominance, the Islanders or the Golden Knights? <laughs> Oh, the Golden Knights easy. Like Golden Knights okay. are great. They just yeah. they, they're they're injured, yeah. and they can't bring anybody back because they're capped out. I mean, they've mm-hmm. they've created their own problem, which is that they are financially just up against the cap, kissing the mm-hmm. ceiling. And so, even if like their good players get healthy again, they've got to find ways to try to get back in the lineup under the cap. They tried. They mm-hmm. thought they had a way by trading away a dude who apparently a had a no trade clause and b didn't want to go to Anaheim. Like. Mm-hmm. So what I mean, outside of the tax situation in California, I don't know a single player that like be like, don't send me to Southern California. Um, I mean, he may just really be in the casino life. He's into he's into Vegas. Well, it's more about like maybe he's a Disney World guy. I don't know. Maybe Ooh, dig on only having two parks to choose from. But um, those are big big things to consider. They are. Um, I think I think Vegas is still really good when they're healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. They might have to reevaluate the goaltending situation in the off season and find that one a to play with Lanner. I think that was a huge miscalculation to think that that guy could carry the load mm-hmm. by himself. Um, but the Islanders in contrast are just like, they've, they have like 11 or 12 guys under contract for the 2023, 24 season uh, mm-hmm. that are forwards. And none of them are Matt Barzell. <laughs> so like, I'm not even sure how the hell that happens where you have that many veteran players. They're like all mm-hmm. over the age of 28 that are locked up for that long. Um, They've got to figure out something there because it was a death. It was a disastrous season. And I don't like yep. the idea of them running it back next year, hoping things are different. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, cause it was a great story. They're back in Nassau. Like they're, they're out of Brooklyn. Things are looking up. Fans are happy. And then just, it, it looks a little bleak really quickly. Yeah. It doesn't help that the Rangers are this good and yeah. uh, got their rebuild uh, turned around pretty quickly. Uh, we'll end on this, Greg, give me the playoff matchup that you most want to see happen? Like you want, not not just like who you think is going to be in the cup in the finals, but in terms of like great hockey that you want to watch a full series of these two teams, who do you, who who would you prefer? There's only one answer, which is, which is um, uh, Tampa and Florida. Like, okay. 
that it's the best rivalry in the NHL right now. Um, mm-hmm. It is a series where you have you finally in, in in the long history of these two franchises being in the same state. It's the first time that they've ever been close to equal footing as far as mm-hmm. talent and potential. I mean, obviously there's still a kid brother thing going on because the Lightning have won a couple of cups and the Panthers haven't won a playoff round since 1996. It's kind mm-hmm. of a problem. Um, but uh, there's an intensity in those games, both in the amount of skill and the amount of after the whistle garbage stuff that mm-hmm. um, no, no rivalry in the league really captures at this point. So their, their playoff series last year was an appetizer and I'm ready to devour a main course of uh, those two teams playing for in a meaningful, hopefully second round series. Awesome. Awesome. Well, there you go, Greg, what can the good folks check out from you across ESPN.com, the podcast front and everything else this week? Oh yeah. So a couple things. So uh, my column runs on ESPN uh, every Thursday. You can go check it Mm -hmm. out. It'll be sort of a trade deadline adjacent thing this week. Uh, my show with Arta O'Cal, The Drop, is back mm-hmm. on Thursday night, leading into our coverage that night. You can check that out on ESPN Plus and wherever we stream stuff. And mm-hmm. if you're looking for more podcast stuff from me and some written stuff, uh, I, I don't do the Puck Soup podcast with the boys anymore, um, but I do do a slew of other podcasts mm-hmm. on the Puck Soup Patreon, just patreon.com slash Puck Soup, and you can find um, also some non-hockey writing there. I'm proud to say that I published a uh, large essay about the end of Flip or Flop on oh. uh, ETV today. There you go. A, uh, a show that I watched with frequency and was stunned uh, to find out uh, ended uh, in a very cringy way on their last episode. So do check that out. There you go. There you go. Greg, thank you so much for making the time. I greatly appreciate it. We'll have to check back in again soon. Absolutely, man. It's great doing the show. All right, that'll do it for today's edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you again to ESPN's Greg Wyshynski for coming on today's edition of the podcast to talk all things NHL, plus the full ride with Matt Green, fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green. Follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore to underscore Green. And uh, keep up with Greg and all of his great stuff at ESPN, ESPN Plus, and all the great NHL coverage that he puts together and the great folks at ESPN put together each and every day. Um, don't forget, folks, You, if you like today's episode and you have not already done so, make sure you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you are listening to this podcast. Don't forget, you can uh, watch us. So if you'd rather watch this program uh, rather than just listen, guess what? We got that for you. So YouTube.com, type in the Chase Thomas Podcast, hit that subscribe button, check it out. All kinds of great videos on the YouTube page, so go subscribe there today if you have not already done so follow me on twitter at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer and don't forget of course the daily newsletter sports renaissance man sports renaissance man that's me type your email that's simple uh new episode tomorrow jam-packed per usual and uh i will talk to you guys then uncle derek how'd i do Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.